Welcome to the Two Button Crew Podcast, episode 31, Metroid Dread. My name is Scott, and I'm pleased to be joined with my co-host as usual. How's it going? It's going well. If you're new here, I'm Glenn. I don't think I've been this excited to record a podcast in a long time, barring like special interviews with the Torontos or mm-hmm. different different authors I've talked to, but just like doing a topic. This is incredible. I can't believe I'm saying the words Metroid Dread, and it's a real game. It exists. It's on store shelves. You can download it, and it finally came out. Yeah, yeah. Like the when they revealed that it was going to be called Metroid Dread, like Okay, so I may have mentioned this before in past podcasts, but I have this habit of like when I'm just completely overwhelmed, um, I start laughing like a, a madman. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, oh my gosh, it's freaking Metroid Dread. Like, yep. it, I can't believe that that's actually real. Um, I have to wonder <laughs> if they like chose that name. Like, so for those of you who don't know, Metroid Dread has been rumored since the days of the N- Nintendo DS. Right. So like 2004. 2000. It's it's mm-hmm. been over a decade that that name has been floating around. And I have to wonder if they chose that name because of the rumors or if that was always the name that they were going to go with. And it's The name was like printed on materials given to press E3 2004, the first time the game was in development. I think that even though this iteration is actually the third time they tried developing Metroid Dread, I think they stuck with the name rather than changing it because of its historical significance to the most hardcore of Nintendo fans. Yeah. Okay, so you said third time. Could I, I have not really watched any of the developer stuff um, because mm. apparently some of Nintendo's... Uh, I know Arlo talked about this, uh, you know, if if you haven't, but uh, yeah, check out Arlo. He's got a really cool channel. Yeah. Um, but Oh, uh, and by the way, his reaction to Metroid Dread was priceless. Yeah. Uh, but um, he, he mentioned, warned that some of Nintendo's promotional material would spoil stuff. So I, I didn't watch most of that stuff because I wanted to go in as, as blind as possible. Yeah. The... Sakamoto, the director of the series, he he admitted that this this is Metroid Dread, the one that was rumored for the longest time, and that it did exist back in 2004. It was canceled. They tried developing it again around 2007 after some new hardware had come out, and uh, both would that times be the, the Wii? I think it was whatever the newest iteration of the handheld was. Well, in 2007, like, the Wii came out in 2006, and the DS was, like, 2004, so new yeah. hardware at the time would have been the Wii if it was 2007. When did DSi come out? DSi, oh, oh, DSi, that actually, okay. Yeah, I forgot about that one. So, well, maybe the years aren't exactly right, but the point is that they tried developing it two separate times in the past and both times felt that the technology just wasn't able to keep up with their vision. So it was canceled twice until this iteration that finally came out. Third time's a charm. I feel very rewarded as a Nintendo fan for reading news and rumors and just being so dedicated to the point where like, I held on to hope that Metroid Dread would eventually come out. Simeon and I made a video about it a good four years ago. 
It was called Metroid Dread Tragic History Plus New Info because we actually went digging a bit. I tweeted some people that were at E3 in 2004 and uh, confirmed some of those rumors that had not been confirmed prior. So it was funny when Metroid Dread was officially announced at E3 this year, uh, that video from four years ago got some more traffic and people were like, whoa, they knew about this. Uh, where were you during E3 this last time? I was at a camp with hardly any internet, so I was like trying to watch the stream, but it was really choppy. I hopped on, I saw Metroid 5 and then Metroid Dread, and it just blew my mind. I was like, I have to wait until I have a steady uh, stream so I can watch this trailer. Well, uh, I I, I want to say that I think E3 was like scheduled very conveniently. Uh, for me this this year because it was like 12 o'clock central which is typically when i take my lunch break uh so it's just like oh hey i can just watch e3 over my lunch break so glenn tell us another reason that this is so significant not just because this particular game has been rumored for so long but just in regards to the series as a whole oh yeah so the okay so there, there's a few reasons um first and foremost the last game in the timeline officially uh, prior to this was Metroid Fusion, which came out in 2002, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 19 uh, years ago. So it's Yeah, it's been 19 years since we've seen what happens next in the story, which is pretty nuts. So we've... And Metroid 4, Metroid Fusion, ended on a pretty... Um, I wouldn't say cliffhanger, but it definitely was um, a situation where it's like, okay, where's the story go from here? But the other thing is that we haven't had a new Metroid game since, uh, a new 2D Metroid game, I should say, a new 2D side-scrolling Metroid game that uh, wasn't a remake since that. You know, we had um, Samus Returns, which was good, and we have an episode of the podcast on that if you want to hear our thoughts on it. Um, And we had uh, Zero Mission, which was also our last episode of the podcast, so you can go hear our thoughts on that. Um, but yeah, we haven't had, um, like a whole cloth new 2D Metroid game since Fusion. So, um, and you know, that's kind of a big, big part of, you know, that's where Metroid started. So it was, um, you know, it's kind of like the gap between Super Mario World and new Super Mario Brothers. Right. It's so interesting seeing the difference between some of these Nintendo directors, like Sakamoto and Miyamoto are just completely different in the storytelling department because Sakamoto gives Metroid this long-running lore that's actually continuous, whereas nobody's sitting around thinking, what happens next to the saga of Mario and Bowser? More than likely, it's just going to be a repeat of the same story beats. And then Aonuma is in the middle a little bit where there is a timeline and there's some continuity between some Zelda games, but whatever game is going to come out could just be anywhere in the timeline, any iteration of the the hero uh, reincarnating. So Metroid is very different from all other Nintendo series where there's actually a continuous story and we were left waiting, uh, knowing that there had to be something after Metroid Fusion for so long. So uh, they actually pitched this game as the conclusion to a five-game arc that started 35 years ago with the original Metroid on NES. And they said this is going to be kind of a closing chapter uh, for the Metroid saga, Mm -hmm. uh, 2D at least. So 
I thought that was a great way to build hype for the game. They definitely put a ton into the marketing. Um, I know you were a little skeptical even after the game was released that this would actually be the sequential sequel, right? You you're finding it hard to believe, I think. Yeah, well, I I I, I wrote about this in the past on the blog. Man, I'm just plugging a ton of stuff today. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was. A little skeptical that Nintendo would continue it because the way I saw the end of Fusion is that kind of put Samus at odds with the Galactic Federation, which is who hires Samus in pretty much every Metroid game. Um, so I, I was a little bit skeptical that they actually would continue the story because it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, Samus has a new suit and there's kind of this shakeup to the continuity and Nintendo seems really committed to sort of the Super Metroid um kind of concept of Samus and uh, the series identity. And speaking of story, I think almost everyone listening to this episode will have beaten the game, but rest assured if you're still playing through or if you have yet to start, we will hold off on spoilers until towards the end and we'll give you a warning. So first we will talk about some of the things that won't spoil the game for you, like the gameplay and the aesthetics uh, we will have to talk about all of the abilities, so if that bothers you, maybe just pause the podcast and come back to it after you've beaten the game, uh, but we will yeah. hold off on and the actual story. If you haven't story started beats. yet, it's not a very long game. It took me like, uh, I think it said that my playthrough was like 12 and a half hours, though I think it may only count the amount of time that I actually successfully completed, so all those times you get killed... Um, might not count to your end total and being on the map screen pauses mm -hmm. the counter so really yeah well that's a nice feature yeah it's good for speedrunners. Uh, you can also restart from the last checkpoint and that will shave off whatever time you didn't use so this game is pretty heavy in the in the speedrunning department and when i beat the game and saw some of those achievements you could go for like beat it on hard under four hours i was just like what no way. That's so fast, but people are doing it. All right, let's get into the gameplay, shall we? Let's let's do it. Okay. What do you think of the very basics of the gameplay? Um, I think they they really nailed the basics, like um the controls. Oh my gosh, the controls in this game are so good. Like mm. Samus is very fluid um in her movement. Like you know, here's the thing is like we think of Samus as an acrobatic character because she does uh, somersaults and stuff in the games. But really, like, most Metroid games have pretty heavy controls. Right, especially if you go back to them. Yeah, uh, and I guess the exception would be Super, which has very floaty controls. But, you know, Samus always has, is, like, there isn't a huge emphasis on, like, quick acrobatics. Santa, Samus actually has kind of a plodding sort of um, movement. Um, which, you know, works for an exploration-based game, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, yeah, the controls in this game were really, really good. Like, you can just keep moving in one direction. Um, you know, there are little things like Samus will automatically roll into a morph ball if you, like, go up to a, a narrow opening and press the A button. She'll just climb in. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's a little animation for that. There's animations for her, like, stepping over short like knee high steps and stuff like that. 
so the the game really lets you just keep moving. Did you notice the animation when you walk up to a wall that you can kind of see through a crack and Samus, if you press forward, she'll place her hand up on the wall? Yeah. Did you notice that? Um, honestly, I think she does that with all walls. Um, I actually, so um, mm. sometimes when I would get frustrated, I just walk up to a wall and I would like press that over and over again. It kind of looks oh. like she's beating her head against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, great yeah oh other things like um so you can automatically go into morph ball several times and there's a slide maneuver that you can do that allows you to um to slide into gaps which allows you to keep your momentum and then if you're still in that gap you'll automatically go into a morph ball but the game also keeps track of when you automatically jump into a morph ball so that's the second you leave that gap and there's just enough room for samus to stand up she will Wow. Yeah, and that's a really cool feature. I really appreciate that. I, I for me, it was a little hard to get used to because I'm, you know, I'm an old school uh, fan, so I'm used to just having to do that manually. But once you get used to that, you can just like zip around all over the place. Mm-hmm. I agree with you about the movement. Samus felt great. I, it kind of seemed like an evolution of other M, where there was that emphasis on acrobatics and fast dodges and stuff like that. But of course, that game was controlled with a D-pad. So this felt much smoother when her fast movements and abilities were mapped onto analog controls and played in a 2D plane. So I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, With controls, I found myself getting the feeling that too many buttons were needed in certain parts. Like when it comes to aiming and missiles... I could get confused with like which shoulder buttons to use when. Yeah, it, that definitely was an issue for me, especially whenever the grapple beam came into play. Right. Um, I had I definitely had trouble with that, and um, I will admit there this is an issue I had with, and this is not so much controls, but like the free aiming. I'm a part of me still kind of likes the just regular old diagonal aiming from like the fusion and. Um, other, not other, uh, fusion and zero mission. Cause, uh, the diagonal, like when, when it's a grid based game, it's a lot easier to just sort of line up your shots. Even if you don't have the same, you, you can't like aim in 360 degrees, you know, your brain just kind of adjusts to that very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, um, I admit that. There, there were some aspects of that, especially when it comes to the shoulder buttons. And it's just like, ah, which of these do I press to do, do the thing I yep. want? And I've heard other commentators say that that kind of puts you in Samus's shoes, so to speak, and you're feeling some of that tension and dread that she feels in intense battles. So it's like, sure, that could be a fine explanation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I would assume that she has a slightly better interface for all of that, but eh. <laughs> She probably does. And she does seem to keep her cool a lot. Like you can tell with some of her animations, such as charging her charge beam without aiming at an enemy. It's like, whoa, she is calm, cool, collected. Mm-hmm. But yeah, controls are really good. Like you said, um, I would say there are a few points where it does get a little bit cluttered and the game does ask you to do a lot of things in quick succession. Um, so that that probably would be the biggest issue, but otherwise it, it controls like a dream. 
Let's talk about the combat because I feel like that's tied into the controls. Because I think when you are feeling overwhelmed by all the controls and you're in a fight, you you may die and that's okay because I think this game is really good at and really emphasizes teaching you patterns and having you learn how to beat a boss through trial and error. So mm-hmm. to me, the boss battles felt very Mega Man X-ish. Like you have to learn their patterns and just as important as hitting the boss is avoiding getting hit. And that's a very Mega Man trait. So I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, combat is very different in this game. So if you played previous Metroid games, previous Metroid games, because they are just like slower and less snappy in how they control, um, the combat is very different. And so um, also Samus has like a dodge move that you can use. And if you get good at that, you know, I don't know, it feels much more like an action game, especially in boss battles. Um, mm-hmm. Enemies also hit really hard in this game. You know, so here's an interesting thing I noticed is that the game, the balance is different because of the checkpoints. Like old Metro games, you die, you go back to a save point, And sometimes that save point's not near a boss. And so what they would do is they make it so that enemies do less damage uh, or you have more health. You don't, I think you only get like 10 energy tanks in this game total. Mm-hmm. So um, combat's a lot more brutal in this game, but it's a lot easier to hop back into. And I, I found that to be kind of an interesting symbiotic relationship between how different design elements affect each other. It's like, oh, you know, you get a checkpoint to right before you enter the boss battle. So we can hit you harder and we can focus more on teaching you to learn the pattern instead of this kind of idea of, no, you should be able to get it on your first try. Um, if you're, you know, if you're really paying attention. Mm-hmm. What did you think of countering? Cause that was always a big part, like weakening the boss to the point where they'd throw out a big move that you could counter if you're fast enough. Um, so in general, I, I think that countering was de-emphasized over what it was in um, uh, Samus Returns. So this returns from Samus Returns, uh, the countering maneuver. And I think the countering maneuver was a little overbearing in that game. I think mm-hmm. it's much more balanced here. So I, first of all, I want to say that there are places where you do need to use it. Like you just can't win the fight without using it. But um, yeah, I I think it... it it was much better emphasis, uh, Im- implemented here. Uh, there are still a lot of places where you, it's just easier to sit there and wait for the enemy to try to attack you than it is to try to take down the enemy on your own. And that's another thing is like, I feel like mostly like the enemies for most of the game are kind of damage sponges. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that, that's one of the things in regards to combat that I don't really appreciate in the, uh, I don't know, I feel like I should be able to take down an enemy with a couple of, like a, a basic enemy with a couple of charge, not charge shots, a couple of uncharged shots, but here you can right. like pump, a, pump a regular enemy full of missiles. Yep, and it's not really until you come back with the signature screw attack that is at the end of most Metroid games that you can just tear through everyone, but... For sure. It takes a while, especially I remember some of those metal enemies, like the one that spreads fire on both sides, which is also a very Mega Man design, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, but you had to wait until you got like some kind of beam three quarters through the game to to even like feel like you could beat those. It was 
Yeah, it's a plasma crazy. beam. Those things are actually really easy to, to counter, though, if you know what you're doing. But Oh, I don't know if I ever countered one. Yeah, and that's the thing is you, you get really reliant on the counter by the end of the game. Mm. So, well, okay, by the end of the game, you have like the screw attack and all that. So you don't really need the counter unless you just need the, the health pickups. Okay, so we've talked about the normal enemies and the bosses with the exception of Emmys. So let's talk about those. Definitely huge in the marketing of Metroid Dread, and there's seven of them on the cover. In lots of the trailers, it felt like the Emmys would be the driving force of the title of this game, the main thing causing the dread. And I think they do play that up. My main concern going into Metroid Dread was that the Emmys would be too annoying, that there would be too many of them, that you'd always be running from them, uh, that you would be distracted from exploring the world or doing the typical Metroidvania exercise of unlocking new areas because of trying to avoid these guys. I was very pleasantly surprised when they were uh, relegated to their own Emmy zones where they're confined to. So Mm -hmm. that was so smart. I'm really glad they did it because it took care of my biggest concern going into the game. So I enjoyed those areas. Um, I like how they are very puzzly and you have to find ways to use your abilities and avoid these guys. Um, There's a very small chance that you can counter them if they catch you, which I probably pulled off about 10 times the whole game. What about you? Uh, Like two or three. Oh, all right. It's only on that last one, which I've heard people uh, speculate that um, that last one has a broader window. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of Emmys overall? So I was I was like you. I had a lot of concerns going in, and especially hearing that they were inspired by the Zero Suit segment from um, Zero Mission, because I was not um, I that I was not particularly thrilled by that segment. Um, I, I found it stressful, and you know, to be fair, again, I I said this in the last episode. I don't hate the Zero Suit segment. I think it's a fine set piece, but it's you know I'm glad it's relegated to like a thirty minute to one hour segment of gameplay. But um, the uh, the Emmys, so I'm glad they were relegated to their own area. But when I first started playing, I remember um, getting to those and seeing that, oh, there is no way to get to my next destination except to go through an Emmy area. It'd be like, you know what? Now's a good time for a bathroom break. um early on but i think they they so one they relegate them to their own areas which was clever but i think the other thing is the first one you know it's very brief encounter um and it's broken down so it's not really much of a threat but the first one they teach you very early on by the way you're going to kill these things and that's something i really appreciate is that you do get to take care of them eventually and that feels really good like you know i i was like pumping my fist and going yeah eat it (laughs) after i know and it's so nice to know that they don't respawn, they don't come back. Like it's off the map for good. Uh huh. And, and like the, the that. little color of the Emmy area on the map actually changes uh, mm-hmm. once you do that to kind of signify, hey, that's done. And they they have a counter telling you where all of them are. But uh, yeah, so I I appreciate the fact that they they communicate that very early on. So it it did take a lot of the edge off. But I remember that first one. I absolutely. Um, 
I, I found that very stressful because it was mostly just like, okay, I have to think very quickly and I'm, I'm having to run and I don't want this thing to see me because then I'm not going to be able to leave without having to shake it first. And, you know, I don't really know how long that's going to take. And there were many times where I'd go in and like, I'd see the little yellow circle and, uh, that shows like it's, um, how far it can hear. Mm-hmm. And I would walk, uh, accidentally step in that and i just dash for the exit it's like no nope, right. i'm not even doing this reset do over <laughs> take in the mulligan it's really nice that you're able to do that and if you die they restart you at the last emmy door you went through rather than your last save station it, it getting caught really is not the worst thing in the world it's just no. a little bit irritating because the reset is very quickly very quick now here's the thing though so i did not like that first one at all i remember thinking oh gosh this whole game is going to be terrible and then, at, like, shortly after, well, I say the first one, really it's the second one, the first real one. Mm-hmm. The second mm-hmm. one, it's like, oh, gosh, this is going to be awful. This is just going to, like, this is going to be the whole game, and they're going to force me to do this. And then you get the stealth um, ability. And that completely changed it. It's like, oh, you know what? This isn't so bad now. Like, it, yep. it's weird, that one power-up where it's just like, okay, you just find a, a little corner where the thing's not going to go patrolling, and you just hide um and you know uh you're good you know you just have to figure out and you know there is a waiting game and it's sort of like okay am i going to run out of power before this thing leaves the room or is it it looks like it's patrol patterns or um it's not going as far away as i would like it to so i'm going to have probably it's going to hear me i just have to make sure it doesn't see me you know stuff like that so it was fun to take screenshots when they're like one inch away from you. Yeah, you're but the, the, the thing is that ultimately it turned into, it, it did make it more puzzle-like once you have the uh, the invisibility thing. So um, if you're playing the game and you're not really liking Emmy in the first area, don't worry, it gets a lot better. Yeah, and like it does lead to moments where I remember you, you can't turn the stealth suit back on after um, you deactivate until it's fully charged again, even if you only use it a little bit. I remember like one of my early earliest um, experiences using that is like I turned it off and then the Emmy jumped down as soon as I turned it off and went, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, crap, and it <laughs> just walked the other way. Just, oh, wow. It's like something out of a movie. <laughs> it was very puzzle-like, especially when you got the Omega Cannon and you get to go back through the area and then discover, oh, this area is perfectly laid out for the length that I will need to blast this guy's faceplate off before mm-hmm. he reaches me. And just fun how they use the environment to make it a really good cat and mouse game. Yeah, and the, those those fights were interesting because it's like you then you start really thinking about the, the layout of the room. And it's like, okay, where what is going to slow it down enough that I could I can um uh I, I can blast it. All right, quick Emmy spoiler here, about thirty seconds. Did you get to that part where it usually comes to you across the ceiling and you're like shooting the faceplate off. And then after the faceplate is off, you wait for it to come back again and it actually comes up behind you. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. I thought that was amazing. So we're going to start talking about the progression through this game and the different abilities that you can get. But a way that that ties into what we were just talking about with the Emmy robots is I got to say, I never quite figured out when you would get an ability. Sometimes you would stumble on a Chozo room. Sometimes you would beat an Emmy and it would give you something. 
There's also like natural kind of environmental boss battles that you go through. And there are also sometimes when I would beat a boss and think I'm about to get a big upgrade because that was a really hard fight. And then you just don't. So they kind of spread out through a lot of different ways how you progress the game and are rewarded with power-ups, but I never figured out when to expect them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, is that it was a little bit weird. And I don't know, I started with Fusion and Prime, and Fusion and Prime train you to think, oh, I get these abilities after beating a boss. Yep. That's how that works. But if you look at the older Metroid games, it's like you just find it lying around, and maybe there's a boss somewhere near it, and some huh. some of them. But you just find the abilities lying around, so it's it's much more in that vein. Yeah, it's much more in the the vein of the older games. Like you definitely get rewarded for fighting certain bosses. You like you have to fight a boss to get the stealth ability, um, and they they kind of explain why that is, but it's it's weird. Um, so, yeah, definitely, it's it's hard to predict when you get stuff. Um, also, like, something I really appreciate is they play around with the order that you get stuff in in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I would say towards, the like, the middle of the game and definitely towards the end, it typically follows the, the normal Metroid progression pattern. <laughs> but that early game, like, there there's a lot of times where you're getting stuff and it's like, really? That's what I get before this? Um, like right. for instance, you go, like I think it was probably an hour and a half before I got the morph ball. Mm-hmm. Like the the morph ball is not in the first area. Stark contrast to Metroid One, where you walk left and get the morph ball. <laughs> yeah, it's literally just sitting there, um, one screen to the left. But uh, yeah, the morph ball. Like, I remember I thinking that was really clever because it, it really makes you appreciate how reliant Metroid's design is on the Morph Ball. And it, I don't know, it, it was a very clever decision to do that. Yep. Um, especially there. since you have the slide moves move, so you can go through short segments pretty easily. Um, you know, you, you can slide through some gaps, but you can't, like, climb into a, a gap or whatever. You know, because Metroid can't crawl. Right. <laughs> yeah, there are so many abilities in this game. I really like them all. They made really great use of the speed boost and shine spark, of course. Tons of puzzles related to those. And I don't know. I think one of the main challenges is just remembering everything that you have and making good use of it. Yeah. I'm one of those people that kind of forgot about turning invisible, so I was more trying to brute force all the emmy encounters and just keep dying repeatedly until i get the one run that works but if you remember to turn invisible and uh, use the dash during fights i love that aerial dash where you can go three sections at once yeah that's i mean you're very rarely going to go more than two um because the third one is typically it's not big enough for that but yeah absolutely So here's one ability that I totally predicted would come towards the end of the game and never did. The ability to use that dash through solid objects and get from one side of a wall to another. I would love that. They should add that as DLC. (laughs) I don't think this game's getting DLC, but... Oh, I know. Man, that would be... So here's the problem with that, is that if you go out of bounds for like more than one frame in the game, you die. Like, the game yep. just 
the, that's how they handle um, out of bounds glitches is they just kill you outright. So it'd be really, <laughs> they, they'd have to, they, they'd have to finagle a uh, solution for that. Yeah. And with this game's uh, emphasis on speed running, that would just take it to a whole nother level. Yeah, one of the things I found interesting about power-ups is, one, pretty much every power-up, every every ability you get is tied to progression, which I found interesting. Um, some more so than others. So you mean it doesn't just make you better at combat, you need it to get through a door or something? Yeah, yeah, like the charge beam for most Metroid games is really just a convenience feature. Hmm. And here they have charge beam doors, um, you know, and then they have like plasma beam doors and stuff like that, and I found that, that to be really interesting because you typically don't see that in metroid games some sometimes you know sometimes you need it to break a certain block or defeat a certain kind of enemy or whatever but um here i feel like they were much more conscientious about making sure everything contributed to progression right um the other thing is that power-ups were a lot more granular in nature like you get basically a double somersault before you get the space jump yep which is uh, yeah it made it to where there are so many you'd be getting a new ability at every turn so a very tight breadcrumb to kind of guide you through the game you mentioned charge beam doors which just reminded me of the map and boy this map is dense there are several areas but when you're in an area and pull up the map it has so much detail shows you what kind of blocks there are Mm -hmm. what kind of doors there are and what kind of barricades there are in front of doors and it's all available on the map so i think this is definitely the most developed and detailed map in any metroid game oh yeah like the the map is again that's another part of the game that's just absolutely amazing and i'm it's gonna make it hard to go back to older metroid games because like you know the map you can see an obstacle and it's like do i know what uh destroys this yet no uh, you know, it'll, because it'll tell you, I don't know what kind of block this is. <laughs> um, and it's like, oh, okay. So I guess I'll just, um, I'll come back later. And you can just look that up on the map where in old Metroid games, it's like, okay, I remember there was a power up here. Do I have, but I don't remember what was impeding my ability to collect it. So should I go back and try to get it? And you, you go back and you realize, oh, wait, no, this is, I, this needs power bombs. So I'm not going to be able to do this until later in the game or whatever and so you you know you spend a lot of time kind of running around in circles going wait is it time that for me to get this thing because i know that there's a power up here i can see it on my map but i haven't collected it and I, don't, I don't remember why <laughs> yep there was kind of an unnecessary feature of your ability to drop your own different colored markers and i just didn't find a use for that because the map had everything there is to know about the map i did see someone on reddit say you can just drop a marker to remind yourself in which direction you're going if you're going to save the game turn it off and come back at a later time yeah. so that was helpful but i only used to- it to mark where power-ups that i hadn't collected were because that that that's this is like my one complaint about the map is that it makes it very hard to find um which power-ups you haven't collected because the they like kind of make them more transparent but it's hard to pick up and with everything that is on the map it's hard to pick out which ones are power-ups and which ones are like teleporters and stuff yeah that's related to my complaint with the map and that is like a filter where i could say just show me the pickups would have been really yes i would love the ability to just toggle off power-ups that i have picked up Mm -hmm. because like you said it was it was 
they didn't look that different than power-ups that you still needed to get. So it became cluttered, especially if you zoomed out. I I kept looking for the toggle. Where can I turn off things I've already picked up? And I could see that getting patched in in the future, hopefully. Yeah, or in Metroid 6. Yes. Okay, let's talk about, as you're going through this game, how linear versus open it is, because I feel like there's some good discussion to be had here. Metroidvania is known for a lot of backtracking, searching, getting power-up, and then, like you said, where can I use this power-up? don't really feel like that was a major component of Metroid Dread. I think that the developers really intentionally funneled you through a path while trying to obfuscate the fact that they're doing it. Yeah, they didn't do a very good job of obfuscating it. So here's the interesting thing, is that it kind of embraces both aspects of Metroid, because you have Metroid Fusion, and I would say to some extent Zero Mission, those point you in a direction and say this is where you should go. And so Metroid Dread does that quite a bit, or it flat, really what it does is it slams doors behind you and only yes. presents you one viable way forward. Um, and in some regards, I actually really like the way it does that um, because one of the things that happens a lot is that you actually do something that changes the environment. Mm-hmm. And so you'll like flip a switch that causes a reactor to go off and suddenly the area is too hot for you to go back into without taking damage um, until you get the, you know, the ability to withstand high temperatures, that is. Uh, and then there are other times where you'll move a block, uh, and that block will um, will uh, block off a certain path, so you can't do that a second time. Yep. So there was a lot of places where I really liked the fact that you actually had an effect on the environment, and that's a way that they used to herd you in certain directions. Um, now, it, I feel like they did that a little bit too much because it's like I get a new power-up and it's like, oh, wait, I know where I can use this. Oh, wait, I can't go back to that area for like another two hours because I'm, you know, they're trying to herd me on this one path. But then yep. there were parts of the game where like in the mid to late game where you get a new power-up and it's like, wait, I can go wherever I want. Why am I suddenly now allowed to go wherever I want? And so, and you know, the your Adam, your computer doesn't really tell you where to go. It's just like, okay, you have this new ability to explore. It's like, okay, so there were places where it did open up, and then it would like go back into an error thing. So it kind of switched between the two a lot. I only found it annoying when I wanted to just clean up an area and try to get as many missile tanks as I could. Yeah, and I just run into one of those. You can't go here. And sometimes it felt like I'd be in an area like Berenia or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it felt like there was left Berenia and right Berenia. And there were just things blocking you off from going between them. So it almost felt like, yeah, this is named one thing on the map, but it's really two different spots that I have to enter through different means, whether that's a teleporter or a train or whatever. Yeah, and that that is the thing is that um, it does it does block you off and it does um, it when you want to go back and you want to do some cleanup it's um, it is annoying. It, this is a most of your power up um, hunting is going to be in the second half of the game. So, do you think like before the final boss, if you just went back, have they opened up all those doors by then? Have you tried? Hmm? Uh, yeah. So. 
interesting thing is if you backtrack after um, beating the like getting the ability to go to the final boss after you get all the power-ups the teleporters actually are no longer color-coded I mean they have a color when you see them on the map really? but you can just teleport to from any teleporter to any other teleporter so the game does open up wow. and they do I had no idea that's cool. Well, I beat the final boss and then let the game out, so I am looking forward to trying to go back and get everything later. Yeah, so that would be really handy. Get everything for the record. Cool. Did you have the amiibo? Okay, maybe not everything. <laughs> so let me ask you this: since you didn't have the amiibo but you got everything, does it look like your e tanks are full, or that there's room for one more? Um. Yeah, I'd say it looks like it. I suppose you could squeeze one more in there. <laughs> All right. I was just wondering, like, do people that didn't purchase the Amiibo, it, is it making it clear in the UI that you're missing something? Hmm. Uh, yeah. No, I, I wouldn't say so. Interesting. All right. Should we talk about uh, the beautiful work that went into making this game pretty? Yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead. All right. Well, speaking of extra things that you can buy, such as the Amiibo... I did go all in and get the special edition, which comes with a massive art book. It's like 100 pages, I think, with art from the five mainline games and a big emphasis on Metroid Dread, just tons of concept art and everything. Loved looking at that. Uh, did you go for that edition? No. Um, I'm, I'm cheap. <laughs> well, how did you enjoy the art and the game itself? Um, the game's visuals are really, really good. Um I think the environment design works really well. It doesn't get cluttered, but it's not bland and lifeless either. Yeah, so even though a lot of the a lot of the areas are like industrial, and many of the rooms like um, many of the rooms stand out from one another, which is something that I think is very important in a game like this, is that you know you can look at a screenshot and go, oh, it's that room in the game. I totally agree. Yeah, I love the design. I am so pleased to be playing an HD Metroid game. Is this our first one? It's our first one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think this is our first HD Metroid game, unless we want to include um, the uh, Nintendo Land's Metroid themed. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, man, it was a pleasure to see, and it was running at sixty frames per second. Mm -hmm. so there, there are a few they... places where the frame rate dips, um, but S Simeon Simeon complains about the loading screens big time. He's like, this is worse than a Dreamcast game. <laughs> yeah, the loading the loading screen screens do take a while, um, and the frame rate does drop during the loading screens. But um, there are a few like actual gameplay segments where the frames will drop, and mm -hmm. it's mostly like wide shots where they like pan the camera so you can see a big building as you're walking into it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's places where you expect it to happen. There's no enemies or anything, so it's not it's not affecting your ability to play the game. It's just they got a little over ambitious i think they did a great job having it play in a 2d environment but mix in those 3d elements i loved all the cinematics where you're countering and the camera shifts position they actually take a lot of opportunities to move the perspective of the camera whether you're shine sparking up or you're countering or uh you're, you're aiming the uh, omega beam to, to find an emmy right yeah, and it, the thing is, the game actually looks good at those multiple angles, and that's that's yes. a that's a tricky thing to do because typically when you have a game that has a very zoomed out 
perspective like that, you're only really considering that one straight-on perspective. I cannot wait to see Boundary Break, the YouTuber who takes control of games, cameras, and just explores. I know he's working on Metroid Dread. Probably oh, out is? by the time this podcast is. Oh man, that's gonna be that's gonna be awesome. I'm I'm really mm-hmm. oh, now I'm excited. Yeah, just really great attention to detail, whether it's water effects or just a reflection of an explosion happening in the environment. Uh, I can't really complain at all about the visuals. Yeah, and I, I would say the enemy designs and everything else look very uh, very consistent with Metroid style in the, in the past. Um, which I'm not sure I would say was necessarily the case with um, uh, Samus Returns, though that hmm. may just because everything was kind of low res in Samus Returns. In hindsight, Samus Returns was not the best looking game. It wasn't. And I have a, just a feeling of relief overall with this game, Metroid Dread, coming out from the same developers as Samus Returns. I think we reviewed it well at the time. I don't know what we kind of landed on, maybe an 8-ish when we talked about Samus Returns. But uh, I think Mercury Steam, the Spanish developer who made this, they stepped it up big time. And uh, to to create a AAA Nintendo game on an HD system and have it look this good uh, represents a big leap from Samus Returns, in my opinion. Yep. All right, but, um, also, about the... Samus's new design. What do you think of Samus's suit? Samus's suit. I thought it was really interesting how they tied it into the story of Metroid Fusion. So you had some of that organic look that it said it was gradually being kind of repaired back to her original power suit. So I think it looked good. Uh, I always think it's interesting when one of her primary colors is blue. It's not what I think of when I think of Samus, but uh, it was always fun getting each suit upgrade and makes me wish that we could retroactively put those as options in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Yeah, I, I like the design. I, it is kind of weird because I'm, I'm looking and I'm trying to figure out, okay, why does Samus's, Samus look like that? I did not know about the whole, like, the suit is sort of rebuilding itself to be the original, which makes sense if you um, know how Fusion ends. But yeah, okay, so that's that's interesting because they they show uh, they do depict the fusion suit in the intro um, cinematic, and it's like okay, so this isn't just like they're retconning what the fusion suit looks like. This is actually a different suit. Yep. But I think it looks good, and I think Samus's proportions and everything look really good on screen. Um, and like just her her posing, I like the the way she poses um, when she, after she saves that that very kind of confident stance. I, I really like that. Yes. Yeah, she exudes a lot of confidence in all of the cinematics. By the way, it's fun when you actually get to control her arm cannon during cinematics. That feels so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess since this is kind of an aesthetic thing, the animation thing, I actually thought maybe she was a little too confident in mm-hmm. the cinematics because I, you know, I don't want her to be Other M Samus where she just kind of freaks out about everything. But um, I, I kind of was hoping that she'd be, I don't know, like maybe just step it down one 
notch to, you know, something between Metroid Prime and what they had here. Because in Metroid <laughs> Prime, you know, Samus gets into a fight and by the end of it, she's panting. You can see she's exerted mm. herself. Yep. Um, and here they kind of undersell, like, once you beat a boss, you sort of like, you know, here I am and I, I have like um, 50 help left. And mm-hmm. Samus is just acting like it's no big deal. And, you know, maybe that's just because there's a <laughs> time gap. Like, if I had to come up with an in-universe explanation, there's a time gap between um, the Prime games and Samus Returns. And maybe she's just gotten way better at her job. So she, you know, she can be kind of cocky. Because she comes across as kind of cocky. <laughs> yep. Those, I mean, there's sense. one of two modes. She's either strutting her stuff or... Her eyes are the size of saucers, and she's screaming her head off. But I think you bring up a good point. It would have been amazing if they had different kind of fatigue animations depending on the percentage of life left. That would be awesome. Actually, that would have been that would have been a really nice touch. Whereas, like she, you know, you can kind of see her panting a little bit after a boss battle if you barely survived, like I did most of them, or mm-hmm. if you like just completely obliterated that thing. Then you know Samus just is um, uh, Samus just is com- like completely completely calm and collected and uh, right. very yeah. Well, let's talk about the music. I'll just touch on it, and then you can correct me because uh, we all know I'm not the music expert. However, right as this game was coming out, there was a recent switch update that allowed bluetooth headphone compatibility so i took full advantage of that and used a pair of bluetooth headphones my entire playthrough and that was so helpful uh just getting into the the setting and the feeling of isolation and enjoying the music too um i you know i can't really i don't have the vocabulary to comment on specific tracks and whatnot but I will say overall, the soundtrack felt very Metroid Prime to me, and that's a huge compliment because it's very hard to outdo the Metroid Prime soundtrack. So I felt like it was appropriate for a Metroid game, and uh, they did a good job, and I definitely enjoyed playing with headphones. Yeah, so I'm not a music expert either, um, but the thing I want, you know, I've heard some people say that they don't like the music in this game like it's it's not as good as the rest of the series and the thing is i remember when i was playing through it, it's i would not describe it as metroid prime i would say it's very metroid uh, it's very super metroid and the thing is like and if you've ever listened like there are tons on on youtube right now you can go listen um to people like using the super metroid sound font and kind of making a demake of the music and um yeah, it sounds like Super Metroid music. Like, um, and you know, I know the composer. Um, I, I don't remember their name, and I haven't looked up um, what they've done in the past. But I know it was a Japanese um, composer, so probably someone who worked on past Metroid games. But um, yeah, it, it sounds very appropriate to Metroid. It's it's not like just a bunch of ambient noise. Um, like the music in um, in Samus Returns, I don't think was all that from what I recall, wasn't all that great. Um, wasn't all that memorable. But here, you know, it's actual music. Like, there's a melody. It's very heavy. It's got mood. It's not just a bunch of kind of sci-fi humming, a um, bunch of electronic noises that you would expect from uh, a sci-fi game in the modern age. Um, it's, you know, it's actually, 
has that Metroid energy to it. So I would say that I was very impressed with the soundtrack. Um, now, admittedly, just due to the mixing and because we're not using, you know, chip tunes are very punchy, and I, that's kind of why it's um, they stick in our our minds so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so with modern mixing and all that and the modern instrumentation, I think that because you don't have that sort of um, sort of more harsher, more simplistic sounds, you don't quite it, it kind of blends into the background a little bit more than other games. But yeah, it's it's 100% Metroid music. Listen up, everybody. It is spoilers time. We are going to be talking about the story and we're going to be talking about it all. So this game has a great story. If you haven't beat it, hit pause on the podcast and we'll be here for you when you're done. Glenn, it's Metroid 5 story time. What do you want to start out with? Let's start right at the beginning. Um, so, and this is going to be me pointing out something that's actually a little bit weird, is that the, there was an opening text crawl, and it was phrased from Samus's perspective. Yep. But it wasn't voiced. Right. <laughs> what the heck? What? 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 <laughs> why, why wasn't it voiced? Because Samus she's actually voiced does. It yeah, Samus has been voiced before, and she actually does speak. She doesn't speak English in this game. She speaks Chozo, but she actually does speak in the game. So it's not oh, like, we oh, we don't want Samus to speak in this game. Um, right. We want her to be a silent protagonist. Well, you kind of fail just by having a first-person text scroll, um, <laughs> because that implies that she's you know not... I, I think that technically disqualifies you from being a silent protagonist. Um, but then they have her speak Chozo at later points, and I don't know if it was just like... And then they have other characters, like Adam speaks. Right. And so I'm, I'm hearing that, and it's like, okay, this isn't like a local saving money on localization issue, so why aren't... I don't know. Um, that, that opening crawl was kind of a head, like head tilter for me, but um, I actually really like the setup for this game because... It, it's not like your typical Metroid game where you start at your ship and you go deeper and deeper into the caves. You actually start... Samus, okay, so for those... Well, if you're listening to this, presumably you've already played the game. But, you know, Samus goes down into the tunnels and they don't show how she gets all the way down there. But um, she goes underground and then she gets trapped underground and you're trying to get back to your ship the entire game. And I thought that was really interesting. Again, turning things on their heads, sort of like with the Morph Ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, two things. One, Nintendo absolutely needs to get better in the voice department overall. Uh, It's 2021, almost 2022. We should not be having to read every line of text in almost all of their games. Two, I don't want to gloss over the part where Samus did speak because that was an amazing moment. Uh, the one, her one line in the game is like, "Don't worry, I'll take care of it." And spoken in Chozo, um, man, that was pretty awesome. Uh, I I did like this game. It did have plenty of plot, but never felt overbearing. You know, it wasn't um, other M where you were like constantly watching a movie. It's just kind of like short little, uh, short little bursts here and there that kind of like okay. This is what happens. So now you and oftentimes they'll go from like a cutscene directly into into like a boss battle or something, which is really cool. Right. I like the mystery throughout the whole thing. Like, who is Ravenbeak and why did he spare you? And Adam's like trying to work out that mystery for you. And uh, 
I also like how, similar to the gameplay, you might think this story is going to be about why did the Emmys turn on us and what's going on here. But um, really, as you play through, it becomes more about the Chozo and the dueling tribes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just appreciate what they did with the bait and switch on this isn't really a game about Emmys and gameplay or story. It's about Samus and the Chozo. Yeah, uh, that was really nice. Um, and I like how the you know the story has an effect on the gameplay in places because there's a point where one of the Chozo deactivates the Emmys. And then you can just, mm-hmm. like, you just start blazing through those areas very quickly. And um, you, you get pretty far uh, into the game. Um, and you can go through the Emmy areas, and it feels really nice, and then, you know, the Emmys get reactivated mm-hmm. after a point. But, you know, so it's nice to see how the story and all that kind of, um, you know, play, you know, they, they actually were willing to let you just have a segment where you could just kind of relax as yeah. part of the story, even though you knew it wasn't going to last forever. Well, let's talk about Metroid Tropes, because this is a series that, even though it has a con- continual storyline, there are definitely some elements that repeat themselves, like Ridley, for example, showing up and being defeated in so many different games. Uh, This game starts out by telling you, hey, this is the history of the Metroid. Mm -hmm. They're extinct, wink, wink. This is the history of the X. They're extinct, wink, wink. And as a player, you're like, well, obviously these elements are still relevant or we wouldn't be recapping them. So I came into it fully expecting we're going to see Metroids, we're going to see X. And... I'm impressed with this team's restraint because they reused Kraid, but that's the only returning boss battle from the whole series. And we go an entire Metroid game without seeing your typical Metroid, let's say. Yeah, you you go the entire game and you don't see uh, a Metroid. Well, I mean... So the, the Metroid series is a little weird because they kind of tried to rebrand it in Fusion by making Metroid mean... Uh, Ultimate Warrior, mm-hmm. and you know even some of Nintendo's promotional material referred to Samus as the Ultimate Warrior. So the the implication here is that Samus is now the Metroid, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, By title. Uh, yeah, they they I I do appreciate the restraint. There was no uh, obligatory Ridley fight. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I guess to be fair, they did that in Samus Returns because Ridley's the final boss in that game, and honestly, mm-hmm. I felt like that was kind of indulgent a lot right. of people were like no i liked it It was the best boss in the game and it's like yeah but it does it kind of diminishes his return in super metroid because mm-hmm. at that point it's like okay you know why would why would samus leave the metroid alone if she knew ridley could regenerate and follow her and i don't know yeah the other, she would know that ridley could regenerate from the prime games because two of the prime games feature Rid- i don't know oh I don't understand it. It's um, as uh, the YouTuber, the Orpheon, referred to it, it. It's all bird magic. Yes. Well, should we talk about the ending? Um, oh yeah. So something before we talk about the ending, something I want to really just um, praise the game is that there are a lot of nice callbacks, and hmm. so a lot of the events of the games are very, um, very logical feeling. So it's like okay, you know the the. Raven Beak wants to use the Metroids as weapons, right? And so he goes to SR388 to um, to capture uh, some Metroids. 
but they're all gone. Samus yep. didn't kill them all, so he's frustrated. But then that leads his um, his minions to getting infected by the X. And like it's that, you know, I look at it's like that's actually a really logical sequence of events. You know, it, if you're a longtime fan, um, that actually, you know, that that actually feels like a, a kind of a payoff for two different, you know, two different games in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's stuff like that um, that I really like, and I I also um, just as a an aside, I really like the moment in the game where you realize that okay, so there's this point in the game where you go to this one area that's like really small on the map, like it shows you know because you have the bigger map and it shows you kind of a rough outline of what the areas look like and then there's like what what was it like eris or something mm-hmm. and there's this little area on the map and i remember looking at that and it's like okay some stuff's gonna go down there the <laughs> little area on the map is always where the bad the bad thing that uh changes the pace of the story you know changes the yep. tone of the story that's always where it happens is the little place <laughs> Because that's you know, it's like okay we're just doing this only exists so that we can we can p- have a gut punch in the game, and um, you know you find out that it's uh, actually a, a quarantine area to contain the X parasites and things that are infected by the X, and then as you're leaving the area, there's this one shot where Samus is um, as she's watching she she sort of just kind of drops her shoulders and looks around and you can see the X flying out it's just like. Mm-hmm. What have I done? <laughs> yep. Well, I'm a big fan of plot twists, so let's get to the point where Samus starts to question Adam's motives because Adam starts to sound less and less like Adam, and uh, she charges up her blaster, shoots the place that we've all known as like a safe spot where we can mm-hmm. save our game and stuff, destroys it, and reveals Ravenbeak. Basically, Ravenbeak has discovered that the Metroid DNA from the vaccine that Samus had has actually turned her into a Metroid, allowing her to suck the life out of things that she touches. And, of course, he wants to use her, his daughter, to rule the galaxy. Yeah, kind of so Star Wars-like. For the record, the, the daughter thing is kind of metaphorical so samus has been infused and i think this is was revealed in previous material but samus has been infused with chozo dna and some of that dna came from him apparently apparently yeah yeah so not like so, it, it's not like samus actually was hatched from an egg or something or <laughs> however chozo were born i you know she I has human know parents yeah had ridley killed them but yes but because of the dna i guess he feels like he has some some right to her, some ownership over her, I guess. He's a pretty bad dude. Uh, Samus doesn't like that at all, so they have a big fight, and I enjoyed this fight all around. I enjoyed its story implications, its uh, gameplay mechanics and patterns as a boss battle, and uh, especially the cinematics. They went all out making that feel like an epic final boss battle. Um, I appreciate the fact that uh, he fights with an arm cannon. Yes, because you yes. know that's that's a nice little and you know it's it's a really obvious little thing, but it's a, it's a nice little thing where um, you you can point at that and say, oh, okay, yeah, that's just a Chozo thing. That's not a Samus thing. That's a Chozo thing. Mm-hmm. At least whatever his tribe was. What were mm-hmm. they called? Uh, the Makin. Makin. Yes. 
My favorite part was probably when he ripped his own wing off. That was pretty hardcore. Yeah, um, it, it did raise some questions about, okay, do Chozo just normally have wings? Is that like biomechanical <laughs> thing? I think he was just like ripping a part of his body off? I don't know. <laughs> I, I have questions. <laughs> but He was looking like Sephiroth there for a minute. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was a great fight. And um, the way it ends with Samus like trying to use her Metroid powers and then she like grabs his face... And there's like a good, I don't know, like 20 seconds of just hearing him scream in agony as Samus mm-hmm. leeches him dry. And, man, you know, it sounds gratuitous if you haven't seen it. Let me tell you, it is the most satisfying thing in the world. Yes. Like, it's just you're loving every second of it. It's just like, yeah, die, you blackguard. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you trying to beat that boss? Uh, I think it took me about four tries. Okay. It, that sounds it, yeah it, it right. didn't it, it wasn't super difficult um it, it took me like two tries to get through the first phase one try to get through yeah like two deaths on the first phase one death on the second phase and then the third phase was kind of a repeat of the first phase mm-hmm. with just a little extra added and so that one wasn't too hard yep well we eventually do beat the boss and get a really cool new suit if there's the signature metroid endings sequence where things are going to blow up and it is sad to see another planet blow up uh i was thinking of what if the metroid 5 game saga had a subtitle it'd be like samus and the five exploding planets or something because well, how many planets didn't... has she destroyed so far because <sighs> there's zabes zebs zebus zebus i think it's zebus uh, that there's Zebus. Right. Um, she did blow up SR388 and Metroid Fusion. Do we count the BSL in that case? I guess not. Because she blew up both of those at the same time. I so, mean, the, it had biomes and creatures, so yes. I mean, it's not a planet. It is, yeah. it is an, I don't know. It's so a habitat. Up, so if we're just going off planets, uh, Zebus, SR388... Um and uh, ZDR. Mm-hmm. Did she has she blown up any of the planets in the Prime games? Because I think it's only been three planets. If we're actually talking planets, uh, I'll have to play the Prime games again. But hopefully, Nintendo will re-release those. Yeah, I don't think she blew up any planets in the Prime games. Uh, well, okay, maybe the the Phazon planet. She may have destroyed the Phazon homeworld. Oh yeah, I bet she okay, did. Okay, so that okay, we'll say four. So that's and that was called five. that was called phase. Yeah, phase. <laughs> Blowing up plants is not a phase, mom. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, who so I am. I destroy <laughs> planets. <laughs> Her mom's dead, though. Remember? Right. Uh, right. She, she'd be saying that to Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just makes it funnier. <laughs> So the ending like sequence... Like computer Adam or like human Adam? Uh, good question. And speaking of Adam, do you think there was any point in Metroid Dread where she was actually speaking to the real Adam? You know, Maybe. I hadn't considered that possibility until until this podcast that she wasn't speaking to um, computer Adam. Uh, it must have been in the point. ship. 
Yeah, well, definitely in the ship. And I like how Adam starts the game off saying, why are you doing this? You're not getting paid for it. You're not getting paid enough for this. Um, and also at the end, I, it's a really nice touch where when she's like gone full Metroid and she's about to touch the controls and Adam says, no, 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 don't do that. You're going to drain the ship's power. Oh, that was Adam. I thought that was the uh, X. No, that was Adam because it was in English. Okay. And then the X. Yeah, I didn't understand that ending with the X mimicking a Chozo and then like being helpful to Samus. So the X, the, the X embodies the dead Chozo in order to speak and communicate. I think, but the question is why the why the X had a change of heart to be willing to counteract uh, her Metroid abilities and allow her to escape. Yeah, because X have never cooperated with. What Samus was that guy before. called? Quiet Rogue or something. Quiet rope, yep. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really... Yeah, they don't really explain that. Um, I guess I've, bird magic? <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously supposed to harken back to the baby. Like uh, an enemy race cooperating with Samus for the greater good. But the motivations of the X are unclear, I think. Well, I, I saw that as like the quiet robe was like... Even though he had been absorbed by the X, like he still some aspect of him was like either still present, like spiritually, or he hmm. was um, the X had taken on some aspect of his compassion or something. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. Well, I think we're going to wind it down here. It's been a wild ride with some closing thoughts. I want to know, like, what our impressions of Metroid Dread are as a whole and in relation to the series. And then if we could just touch on like where we want the series to go from here. But uh, first, how would you encapsulate your Metroid Dread experience? Um, this is the best game in the series and my favorite game for the Nintendo Switch. Like, hands down, my favorite game for the Nintendo Switch but wow. um, and, and very easily, the, or at least favorite game so far, and very easily the best Metroid game in the series. That said, do not start with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I really think that a huge part of my enjoyment of this was getting to see a ton of payoff for past, um, past uh, uh, story beats. You know, with like eliminating the Metroids and the the X parasites and all of that, um, th- this is definitely like the culmination of a story arc. Mm-hmm. And so, I would say I I would play the rest of the series first, um, if you can, play the rest of the series first, um, uh, or at least most of the series. You know, at least get a few games in the series uh, before going to this one because um, to to maximize your enjoyment of it. I'm actually right there with you, Glenn. Um, this is my new favorite game. My favorite. Like just favorite game of all time? I think so, because what I've kind of held in that place through my many years of Nintendo fandom has just been my experience with Metroid Prime. I have such fond memories of that tone, that environment, that soundtrack, those boss battles, uh, feeling like Samus. And I think Metroid Dread dials all of that up so um i really enjoyed myself um i got to play through the game 
rather quickly. Like I said, I got all the kind of extracurricular amiibo and collectible stuff. I even got a pin set from GameStop. Um, just it's most fun I've had with a video game in a long time. And I think it's super rewarding as a longtime Nintendo fan, like I said, following the rumors and um, holding out hope that Metroid Dread was an actual thing. And then getting to, to actually play it and getting to be blown away by how good it is. It's also really rewarding as a Metroid fan because they didn't skimp on the story. Like There's very significant things that happen in this game, uh, along with great presentation and graphics and even an entire voice acted line from samus so (laughs) so yeah i i kind of took off my critic hat even though i was able to you know point out a a few things that i could would change like the map toggle and whatnot yeah like the map and like something i didn't get to mention is like i think some of the shine spark puzzles are a little bit um a little bit cryptic like there's a few like Mm -hmm. half of them i had to look up because the game doesn't really tell you what you can do with the shine spark and there's like some there's some like really fiddly maneuvers that you have to do to get all of the items yep um like there's apparently you can activate a shine spark uh in midair if you do a somersault then fire your gun and immediately press the jump button afterward and it's like there's no way I would have figured that one out on my own. So yep. there, there are a few places where it's cryptic, you know, not like, um, oh, you, I know that's been like this big hot button issues. This is some God of War developer said, oh, the mm-hmm. game's bad because they're, they're, um, you know, some of the critical pads you have to blow up walls to find. And it's like, yeah, you, you get, I remember early on, there was an area where I got like turned around for like maybe 10 minutes. But, you know, I, I was just like, okay, uh, shoot everything now, I guess. Yeah. I, if, there's I never, if there's never any progression resistance, it wouldn't feel very rewarding to get to new areas. So, yeah, I kind of, part partway through the game, I had the thought, I could be playing my new favorite game of all time. Mm-hmm. And, and I just started, like, taking it in and, and, and focusing on how much I was enjoying it. And, um, it only got better from there. Like the second entire second half of the game, um, really leans into all of its strengths and surprises the player a lot. So I think it's number one. Yeah. I I would not say it's my, my favorite game of all time. Um, but yeah, it, it very easily could be, I don't know, for games like this, I, I kind of have to step back and wait like a year to see how sure. my opinion develops. Like, you know, I, I think I said uh, Paper Mario, um, The Origami King, I, if I had to give it a rating, I would have given it a like it a lot. And now I've, I've had some time right away from it. It's like, nah, I'd probably bump that down to like it. Yeah. But um, yeah, this very easily could be a top 10 for me. Hmm. It's just so great to see Nintendo doing well, and they just put out a statement that the Switch is halfway through its lifetime, uh, and we're at almost five years, right? March will be five years. Yeah, it will be. Gosh. So the fact that they have a console that's performing so well and that their developers are knocking it out of the park repeatedly with... Breath of the Wild, Mario Odyssey, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Metroid Dread, just all of these seminal 
installations and long running series. It's a very exciting time to be a Nintendo fan. So yeah, and I was, I, I'll I'll say this as someone I've actually been a little bit more like the Switch is not bad, but a lot of the big games that everybody goes gaga about, I've been kind mm-hmm. of lukewarm on. Well, not lukewarm. Like Mario Odyssey is a very good game, but I have issues with the way its progression is designed. Yep. Uh, Breath of the Wild is a very good game. I have issues with the way its progression is designed. And, you know, I was thinking, okay, the Switch is going to be that thing where it, it was great for everyone but me, and it was just really good for me. Um, you know, the, the games were good, but they were they felt like a mile wide and, like, a, only a few feet deep. And, yep. no, like, this is, it's like, oh, but, you know, when it, like, leans on the strengths of the previous games in the series, yeah, then you, you have... Um, there, there are definitely uh, this. This definitely is um, making me reconsider that. Oh, maybe that isn't just this generation. That's just going to be like the Mario and the Zeldas of this generation. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I should hold off from saying it's my favorite game of all time and my favorite Metroid game until I actually play all of them in the series. I still need to do the original Metroid Two on Game Boy, so that could dethrone this. Just kidding. No, it's, it it's not. Trust me, it's not. Remember when I said that the, I was happy that the music wasn't a bunch of atmospheric sci-fi noises? That's yeah. the entire soundtrack from Metroid 2, except for the, like, I guess the ending theme and the main tunnel theme. Okay. The main tunnel theme is, like, the only actual music of the game. <laughs> Which is why well, I was ticked off in Samus Returns, that they, they only, like, used a very mellow arrangement of that for, like, the first... 10 minutes of the game and then like the actual main tunnel for the rest of the game was just this kind of very ambient um dark sort of atmospheric piece <laughs> <laughs> so yeah definitely definitely have stepped up their game since samus returns my last question for you is besides the obvious of what we're all asking for yes it's worth 60 dollars Okay. Um, I'm sorry, that was another controversy. I thought that's where you were going with this. It's like, oh, it's a 2D game, so it's not worth $60. Shut up! Thank you. That needed to be said. Besides, of course, what we're all asking for, Metroid Prime Trilogy to come back in an easily accessible way. What do you hope the next new game in the Metroid series is like? Like just in general or for next 2D Metroid game? If well, yeah. If you had to make the decision for Nintendo where to allocate their next resources for Metroid in general, how would you want it to be spent? So this may get me in a lot of hot water, but Uh-oh. take the gameplay from Other M and try to refine <laughs> that and make a proper third-person 3D Metroid game. That's mm. what I honestly after this game like. I'm not sure how you follow this up. Like, mm-hmm. I think, as much as it pains me to say this, I feel like it, it needs to be like a good five, six years before we see another 2D Metroid game. We need just some time to, to you know, kind of cool our jets after this one. Like, because it's, it's very, this is going to be a very hard act to follow. So I think Nintendo, well, I mean, Metroid Prime 4 is going to come out and that's going to be a different, a change in direction. Um, so Metroid Prime. So obviously the next thing to do is Metroid Prime Four. Yep. But um, it, like the next game in the series, I would like to see them try to do another third person. Because honestly, I thought the 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 um, 3D, the idea of a 3D third person Metroid game made a lot of sense. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, if you were to do a Metroid game in the N64 era, this is probably what it would look like. 
Um, and I would like, and you know, it kills me that Metroid Other M wasn't a very good game in many regards, uh, because uh, I think like the core gameplay was really, um, if they hadn't constrained missiles to like first person and they hadn't done all, like if you take out all of the weird decisions, um, you actually have a very strong foundation there. And so it kind of, it, it saddens me that the rest of the game just wasn't, um, wasn't up to snuff because, um, you know, it, basically it, it's guilt by association. Nintendo's probably not going to do that again because, um, the, you know, everyone didn't like the story and they didn't like a few odd decisions about how the game controlled. Right. I'm with you. I'll piggyback on that one. I actually appreciated so much Metroid Other M's emphasis on storytelling with the animation. It was the most Nintendo has ever invested in voice acting, in cinematics, and it would have been incredible if not for the writing missteps. So just make sure you get the writing right. But I think because of that that game's poor reception by the general audiences, Nintendo has stepped back from voice acting and bringing characters to life like they attempted to do in Metroid Other M. So I'd love to see it again. Just needed better writing and yeah. a better characterization of Samus. Well, and honestly, I, I think if they were to do a third-person Metroid game, a third-person 3D Metroid game, they would need to... Um, I, I would scale back the amount of story. Um, I would. I, I would do it to something more akin to what Dread did. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe just a little bit more if you really want uh, wanted to uh, have more story. But um, I, I think Other M... Um, I think there was a little bit, it, it was a little obtrusive, intrusive, uh, whatever the word is. Um, it was a little too much. They laid it on too thick. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Metroid Dread. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, we went over a little long, but I think you could tell that Glenn and I were both very excited about this one. So I hope you are too. Just please leave a comment and let us know what you thought about Metroid Dread. We will uh, respond. We'll interact with you. And um, thankful for our listeners overall. Okay, let's uh, plug a few things like you have been throughout the whole episode, Glenn. You can follow us at 2ButtonCrew everywhere on social media. Uh, Actually, I don't know. We deleted our Snapchat and stuff, but I guess I should plug specifically uh, Twitter and Facebook. And you spell out the two. TWO button crew. We have a blog with uh, great articles. Even though we don't write them as often anymore by long shot, we did always try to make our topics evergreen so that you could go back and read them at any time. So that is at our website, twobuttoncrew.com. And uh, lastly, if you have any uh, topics that you would like to hear us discuss, maybe it's an old classic game that you. Uh, you like uh, that we haven't uh, talked about yet or maybe it's something a more general topic about gaming at large like uh, some topics we've done in the, uh, in, in the past or how to how to reduce your backlog um, we did one on um, trailers and uh, reveals I think a long time ago so if you want to you know just have anything that you think would make a good discussion email me at glenn at twobuttoncrew.com uh, and of course, you know, spell out TWO and all that. Uh, and uh, if there's a, if there's enough of discussion to be had there, then 
we'll make an episode on it. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks for being a part of the crew. Bye. Bye.